All right, so last week we finished up our series going through the parables of Jesus, and this week we're going to jump into a new series through the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, grab them. We'll be in the book of Philippians. If you don't have them, don't worry. The words will be on the screen for you. Philippians, where we'll be camping out, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Let me read that to us to start out. What we do each week reading this book is the most important thing we do because we believe that these words are the very words of God. And so we read them. Paul writes to the Philippian church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with this fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Acts chapter 16 sets the stage for this letter. Acts chapter 16 tells us the, the setting and how this church came to be. See, Paul, uh, he kept wanting to go to different places on his, on his missionary journey, and the Holy Spirit kept stopping him, saying, nope, you're not going there. Nope, you're not going there. Nope, you're not going there. Until eventually the Holy Spirit was clear to him, said, hey, I want you to go to Macedonia, which is modern-day northern Greece. I'll show you on a map so you know what we're talking about. So if you see down here at the bottom, Jerusalem, that's where we started. 6,000 miles later of traveling, uh, he ends up in Europe, in Philippi, northern modern-day Greece. And so, the long journey, the believers that Paul uh, is going to see converted here are going to be the first European uh, believers in Christ that there ever was. He meets three people. First, he meets Lydia in Acts chapter 16. Lydia was this wealthy seller of purple cloth, meaning she she was well off and she sold to people uh, of royalty or of renown. And so she sells them that. And so Paul, one day, uh, just sees this group of people, it's kind of sitting on the grass and he kind of rolls up to them and just like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And she believes in the gospel, trust in Christ. Then there is this demon-possessed girl who kind of keeps annoying Paul uh, and he kind of leaves her alone, leaves her alone, leaves her alone. Eventually he turns around and he's just like, be gone, demon, and cast the demon out. Um, which was great, but it caused a problem for her masters who uh, were using her to tell fortunes and were making money off of that. Well, now when the demon was gone, she could no longer do that. And so they were upset about it. And so she believed in Christ, but then they went to Paul and got him in trouble and got him thrown in jail. So now here Paul is in jail. And uh, this big, God sends this earthquake and all of the doors of all the jail cells open up which the jailer was really nervous about because if he let all these people go free, he was going to get in trouble. So he's about to run himself through with his sword when Paul yells out, we're still in here. Don't worry. We're not going anywhere. And then Paul leads the jailer, the guy who has, has him in prison, to faith in Christ. And then Paul's released. And so these three people set the stage for the church of Philippi being born. 
They, Paul plans the church with them, spends a little time with them, and then leaves. Well, our letter this morning, the letter of Philippians, is written 10 years later. Paul is now in prison, always in prison, always in prison in Rome, which he will never leave. He will be sentenced to death and executed sometime in the near future. But he's in prison writing this letter to the Philippian church. There was a guy named Epaphroditus uh, who comes and brings word to Paul from the Philippians. He also brings financial gifts from the Philippian church to Paul. You see, at this time, when you were in prison, it wasn't like today where all our tax dollars go to help feed prisoners. That day you were in prison, you had to fend for yourself. The Roman government wasn't providing your food. And so other people outside of the prison had to bring you food or bring you money to help support you. And so the Philippian church, from six out, for however far away it is from Rome, was sending financial gifts to make sure Paul could eat while he was in prison. And so Paul writes this letter from in prison to thank them and encourage them and spur them on. So that really is my hope and goal this morning, is to encourage us and spur us on. I think that's what God is doing in this passage. And so Paul in this Roman prison awaiting trial, eventual execution, he does not have a lot to be encouraged about. Paul doesn't have a lot we would think to be joyful about, but yet that is exactly what we find in Paul. We find someone who is exploding with joy and gratitude and thankfulness and hope for the future. He writes this letter from prison facing death, yet he's able to have joy and hope and encouragement to this church that means so much to him. And I think that is an important point to kind of stop and think about for a second, because like Paul in this prison, not having a lot to be encouraged about, I think, too, right now, we living in this pandemic might look around and not think we have a lot to be encouraged about. Our lives have been upended. Our lives and our plans have stopped dead in their tracks, both as individuals in our own families and as a church. We have had so many plans for the summer that didn't get to happen. We didn't get to do VBS. We didn't get to have all of our camps. We didn't get to have uh, barbecues and summer celebrations. We didn't get to do all the outreach we had planned. We, all of these plans and thoughts would get shut down. And it would be easy for us and for you and your own families to slip into despair, slip into discouragement, lose hope, and give up. It would have been so easy for Paul to do that, to feel hopeless. But Paul doesn't do that. The Philippian church doesn't do that. He's writing to them to encourage them. He's saying, listen, there are good reasons for you and I to keep our heads up, to keep pushing forward and to continue on with joy. And so here's what we want to look at. This morning, I want us to see three reasons to be encouraged from a guy in prison. Because when a guy in prison tells you how to be joyful and be encouraged, you listen. All right? So look at verses 3 and 5. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so Paul, think about it, he's been connected to this church for 10 years. He planted it, he birthed it, he labored, he led these three people to the Lord. He has checked in on them, they've written back and forth, they've received, he's received money and financial support from them time and time again. When Paul starts most of his letters, think of Ephesians and Galatians and Colossians, those, when he starts all these letters, usually it's a very quick introduction and then he gets to business. Particularly Galatians, he does a really short introduction and then he's like, what the heck y'all been doing? Y'all crazy. But that's not what he does in this letter. Paul instead is gushing on them. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, you make my prayer with joy. 
So why is it that Paul is so filled with joy and thinking of of remembering them? Because from the very beginning of their journey together until now, they have had a partnership together. From the very beginning until now, they have a partnership. Notice verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way because you all, because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He's saying, listen, from the very beginning, you were with me, and now even when I'm in prison, you're with me. For 10 years, you've been with me through thick and thin. Later in chapter four, he'll tell us actually that this church is the only church that ever financially supported Paul. The only one who ever sent him money. And so because of their kindness and support, Paul was able to continue his missionary journeys, three in total, around the world planting churches. And now even in prison, they support him. So here's what I want you to look at in that verse. The word partnership is interesting. It is the Greek word koinonia, koinonia, which you may have heard before. It's a familiar Greek word, and it means fellowship. Now, it's interesting. I want you to, I'm going to read the verse again. Instead of translating it partnership, I'm going to translate it fellowship, and I want you to hear it. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. You see, I think we have made fellowship all about food, all about potlucks, all about getting together and having fun. And don't get me wrong, I love potlucks, amen? I'm a Baptist. I love our Thanksgiving dinner potluck because it is the potluck of potlucks, okay? I'm here for that. But I think we have reduced the word and the idea of fellowship to simply mean sharing a meal together amongst believers or having fun together amongst believers. But actually, it was a common word used in that day when, say, for example, two people got together and said, hey, let's build a fishing business, and we're going to go in business together uh, with with this fishing enterprise. They would have said, hey, we're entering into fellowship together. Okay, And so it was a common word, and what it really means is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. Self-sacrificing, I'm giving up of myself, conformity, same goal to a shared vision. It is the locking of arms together and going after something. Think of J.R.R. Tolkien's great, wonderful books, The Lord of the Rings. Do you remember the name of the first book? The Fellowship of the Ring where we find nine very different types of people coming together, hobbits and dwarves and elves and men and wizards coming together who would have normally hated each other, but they come together for one purpose, to destroy evil. So too, true fellowship is not about potlucks and fun and games, though those things are great. Fellowship is partnering. It is linking arms together. It is advancing a common mission. This is why it's so great that our church is called Fellowship Baptist Church. Because we have gathered together from all different walks of life, linked arms together and said, hey, we have a common purpose, a common mission. We are going to link arms and be co-workers and co-laborers together to push back darkness and advance the kingdom of light. Paul is writing to this church to express his gratitude for their fellowship their partnership in the gospel, through thick and thin. He's so encouraged by what they've done for him and what God has done through them that they've been faithful partners in the gospel. And so what does that mean for us? How do, how do we look at that and interpret that and apply that for us? Fellowship Baptist Church in 2020, today, 
has reasons to be encouraged as well. Because God has used this church for nearly 50 years to partner, to fellowship with other people to advance the gospel. We have been linking arms together, advancing the kingdom of Christ at home and around the world. We have not been a church, as far as I have seen, that has been ones that want to sit down and just receive, just fill me up, just you know, give, 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 I want to take. But we have been a church that has been eagerly advancing the gospel. 2,000 years ago, think about this, 2,000 years ago, a couple guys turned the world upside down by preaching the gospel. And Paul wants them to remember that even when you do not see how your work is making a difference, be, know that it is. I'm encouraged because you can't see me. I'm in a Roman prison, but you have made a difference in my life. You've made a difference around the world in your support of me. And the Lord would remind us this morning that our work together, our leading people to faith, our discipling, our serving, our caring for our community are also changing the world. Fellowship Baptist Church has changed the world. Now, you may not be able to see it all on a grand scale, but believe it or not, we have changed the world. We have made a difference. We made a difference in people's lives because a bunch of you got together and had a basketball ministry called Upward. We've changed people's lives because year after year we get together and have VBS and a week full of kids and food and snacks and games and the gospel getting crammed down their throat. We've made a difference because leaders have come together to serve and teach and lead our kids' ministry and our youth ministries. Because our church has gone on trips in, in, here in Ohio to serve the less fortunate, to help rebuild homes and care for people. When, when, we, when our, our small groups week in and week out faithfully meet and open the word together. Our church has hosted events for young families to come and get seen and known and build relationships and share the gospel. When you, just on your own, say, hey, will you pray for me? I'm going to share the gospel with a coworker at work. That's partnering. When our women's ministry hosts Bible studies and, and disciples women's and has women's events, and on and on and on, I could go on and on. We have been partnering together for a long time to advance the gospel. Not just here, but around the world. We have sent money to Africa. We have evangelized people in Africa. We have trained pastors in Africa. We have rebuilt schools in Africa. We've done stuff in the Amazon. We have sent money to the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board. Amen. I'll take that as an amen. We have planted churches around the world through these organizations. We have sent money and soon we'll go ourselves to Canada to help plant churches in Toronto, a city that is 98% lost. We're partnering with my friend Cody with Reach and Teach Ministries to train pastors in Africa who have no theological training. Fellowship, we have been gospel partners for a long time. And so we have reason to be encouraged because for almost 50 years, the Lord has chosen to plant this church, see this church thrive. I don't know any other churches that, uh, there's not many churches that in that sort of time have built so many buildings. The Lord is using us. He has saved each and every one of you and brought you here in this moment at this time to make an impact to work to advance the gospel, to make the world a little brighter. So first, be encouraged because our work and our labor and our efforts, our partnerships to advance the gospel have not been in vain. They have worked. And so as Paul encourages the Philippian church in that, so too does God encourage us in that. 
in many ways, the second thing is this whole section is remembering and encouraging them that, that God has been working in them. So the first thing is that God has worked through them. And the second thing Paul wants to tell them is that God has been working in them. So first is through them. The second is in them. Okay. Notice verse six. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work, we're going to stop there, that he who began a good work, he began a good work in you, not for you, in you. Notice he is not speaking of the cross. He is not speaking of what he did in Christ for you. He is speaking of what the Holy Spirit has been doing in you. Paul knows that in the past 10 years that he planted these seeds and now they've taken root and they've grown. This church has been flourishing and thriving. That the Holy Spirit has been molding them and changing them and working in their lives. It's evident because the way he concludes this section in this prayer is that he wants them to grow in love and knowledge and discernment and holy living because these things have been true of them. He wants them to grow in them. He wants them to keep their head up in this difficult time. Know that even though you may not always see the ways in which God is growing, you know that he is. He has started this work in you and he's seen it. Next month is gonna be my two-year anniversary as your pastor. And as I kind of sat and evaluated the past two years and, and looked at our church, it was clear to me that God is at work not only through you, but in you. I have seen so many of you begin to take your Bible seriously and, and begin to open your Bibles and to care about it, wanting to know how to read it more, wanting to be in it more. I've seen some of you uh, studying and, and reading false teachers, people that probably aren't really helpful. And he said, you know what? I've realized that this is not good and I'm gonna switch and I'm gonna start reading this over here. I've seen so many of you say, you know what? I'm not comfortable doing this, but the Lord pushes you and you're like, okay, I'm gonna go do it. I've seen some of you go and share the gospel with your coworkers. You're like, Brent, I've never shared the gospel before, but you go do it. I've seen so many of you uh, plug into small groups. I've seen so many of you be generous with your time, with your, with your effort, with your resources to contribute to this mission. I have seen so much of your love and care dying through. I've seen you care and love for those who have hard times. I've seen your love shine through in the way you forgive people who have hurt you. I've seen your love shine through in the way you forgive me when I do things you don't like or I make a mistake. I've watched you welcome new people into this church. Sometimes churches have this problem of we like who we are, we like the people here, we don't want anybody else, but that's not you. Your people, when you see new people, you go hug them. Say, forget the coronavirus, I'm hugging you anyway. We don't do that live stream. We don't hug, okay? Don't sue me. That was hyperbole. Hand hug. And I even watched as I nervously got up to preach a sermon about how our church needs to move in the direction of having a biblical eldership. And I saw you respond, not with, we don't want change, or that's different, or anything like that, but rather come forward on your knees and pray up here that God would bless this and raise up elders in our church. And even though change is hard again and again, you have a rise to the challenge. Be less concerned with your own preferences and more concerned with biblical faithfulness and advancing his mission. I've watched some of you be saved. I've watched some of you get baptized. Hear me clearly, Fellowship Baptist Church. The Lord is not only at work through you. He's mightily at work through you, but he's also at work in you. In your lives as individuals, he is at work. 
I know that right now in this season of pandemic, we sit here in a room that often looks more empty than we're used to. We're used to this room being filled up, but because we have two services and we've got people at home watching online, staying safe, it can look empty and it can be discouraging. When you don't get to meet in your small groups for so long, though they're starting back up, it was discouraging because you didn't see anybody, you didn't get to talk to anybody, you didn't know what anybody was doing. We feel isolated. I know it can be discouraging and uncertain. I know in your life it can be uncertain. The Lord started a work in you and he is gonna continue it. I've seen it for two years, I see it now. Lord is at work in you. See, the Lord does not quarantine. The Lord is not quarantining until this crisis is over. He is active, he is working, he is breaking into your hearts, into your lives this very moment. He has not left, he has not taken a break. He is at work in you now and always. Do you see it? I want you to take a moment, I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about the past year, and I want you to try to think about the way. Sometimes we get so busy, we don't ever notice this, but I want you to think, what are the things that God has been doing in my life, in your life? What, has, what sins maybe has he convicted me of? What areas of discomfort that I didn't want to do has he, is he pushing me into? What areas of, uh, is he teaching me or, and are pushing me in? How has the Lord been molding and teaching you over the past year? Think about those things and realize that the Lord is not, he didn't save you to stop. It's like, oh, you're saved, you're good now. He saved you to begin a work in you. And he is working in you. And sometimes we get too busy to notice it. So slow down and realize the Lord is at work in you. He's at work in your life. He's at work in this church because Jesus is not done with you. So God, through Paul, is telling this Philippian church, And now God is telling us the same thing, to be encouraged, because God is at work through you, through gospel partnerships, gospel fellowships, and then God is at work in you. Finally, he wants to encourage us, because God's work is not finished, and he finished what he starts. How many of you have started projects over this pandemic? I'm just curious, show of hands. How many of you have started a home project in this Lowe's has sold out of paint, okay, because we all like, hey, we got time to do projects now. I've got like 10 projects that I started, and I've got like two projects that I finished. I am a master at starting projects and a master at not finishing projects. But God is not like that. God always finished what he starts. Verse six again, it says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will, not may, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean for God to finish what he started? It means that even though you may slip, you may falter, you may have a hard time, you may fail, Jesus is never giving up on you. He will finish the work he began in you. He will see it done. He will see you restored, healed, made new, raised from the dead, conformed into the image of Christ, radiant, spotless, and blemished, seated with him in heaven. It means that you can take a deep breath and rest because your Savior has you in his hands. You can't, even you cannot screw it up. But it also means that Fellowship Baptist Church, our church here in 2020, has a bright future. I do not believe that God has completed the work he has called us to do. In the midst of this pandemic, he has still been using us. People have come to faith, been baptized. 
others expressing interest in baptism. We've seen members rise up to care for one another. We've been creative to care for our kids and our elderly and our widows. We've, we've cared for one another. Supported our struggling community by feeding kids who don't get to eat when there's no school. Almost 50 years ago, Jesus started a work in this church, and he is not done yet. Fellowship Baptist Church is, has an incredibly bright future because Jesus will complete what he started. He will finish the work he began. Growing up, my middle sister uh, would always, we would go outside and play games, and she would always, uh, when it didn't go her way, she'd quit. And so to this day, we make fun of her and give her a hard time and calling her a quitter. But Jesus never quits. No matter how hard things get, no matter how dark the day seems, no matter what you face, no matter, no matter the anxiety that you may have in this season, no matter the fear or the doubts that you may have, Jesus will never quit on you. I want you to think about it this way. In the moment that Jesus was in the garden looking at the cross, deciding if he was going to undertake the cross and experience all this pain, he had full knowledge of who you were and what you would do. He had all of the knowledge in the world of every time you would betray him, every time you would hurt him, every time you would sin against him, every time you would doubt him. And he knew all of that about you, and he said, you know what, it's still worth it to get you. And so if Jesus did not quit on you, and when it was most difficult, if he did not quit on you, when it was the hardest for him, when he went through literal hell for you on the cross, he's not going to quit on you now. He's at work in you. He's not going to quit on you. When he starts something, he finishes it. And so Paul concludes his prayer in verse 9. He says, I'm going to pray this prayer for you. He says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Paul was so encouraged by this church and these people, encouraged by their partnership, what God was doing through them, encouraged by what God was doing in them, and encouraged by what was still yet to come. That he was able to look at them and pray that their love would grow, their knowledge would grow, and that their lives would be worthy of the gospel. Church, I am so encouraged in the midst of this crazy world we're living in because our partnerships in the gospel have changed the world. Because God is at work through you and he is at work in you. I see it all the time in you. He's at work in you. And I cannot imagine all the things that God has planned for us. Our future is incredibly bright. I cannot wait to see what God is going to do. And so as Paul encouraged the church in Philippians, in Philippi, God is encouraging us. Though this is a weird season, keep your head up. Because God has worked through you, working in you, and his work's not done.